Take your Bibles and let's look to 1 Timothy today as we're finishing the series of 1 Timothy. You know, I'm grateful to God's Spirit for his movement. It's been obvious he's been bringing new people to this place, which means as he's bringing new folks here to be part of the faith family at Meadowbrook, that means he wants to expand his ministry and reach out further in the gospel impact that we have globally. And so he brings people in to, to do that very thing as he manifests himself through them. It's been my privilege and has been and will continue to be. I pray that I will be able to pastor you and teach you the word of God and that we'll learn together. So as we're coming to a close in this book, 1 Timothy, I can tell you personally I've grown richly in that. I've learned what it's like more to be a church of Jesus Christ and be a leader of that church. And I pray that you're doing the same, that you're just taking God's word and receiving it and letting it shape your life, and that we, Meadowbrook, would be a church that represents well this book. All right, so let's look to 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to begin in verse 17 and go all the way through to the end there. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, may take hold of that which is truly life. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you, avoid irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. What a way to close this powerful letter, his final thoughts. Now, O oh Lord, by your Holy Spirit, direct our mind. Help us to engage singularly in this word and with your grace begin to walk in its truth and treasure. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, Paul has already warned the people of Ephesus there in that church to not have a longing for riches. He said, as we've already mentioned in chapter 6, verse 9, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harm, harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So the apostle went on to say that that kind of craving has caused some to wander away from the faith and they have pierced themselves with many sorrows, with many troubles, with many pains. Now I want to say from the outset that the Bible does not condemn riches. If you're rich, God is not condemning you because you have wealth and resources. The Bible doesn't suggest that being rich is sinful. It doesn't indicate that being rich is specifically or uh, necessarily a blessing from God. It very well could be, but it doesn't guarantee that God is blessing you. Some great people of faith have been the richest people in the Bible, such as Abraham and Joseph and Job and David, Solomon, Lydia, Dorcas, Philemon, there's just a few of them in the Bible names as well, people who have been financially poor but spiritually rich and 
ministerially rich, full of faith. People like Ruth and Naomi and Hagar and Lazarus who sat outside the rich man's gate. Joseph and Mary and Jesus and the majority of his disciples and followers, all of them lacked resources, but they became spiritually rich. Now, God requires the same for both the rich and the poor. He requires it of all of us, regardless of the amount of money or possessions that you have. And that is that we would have the right attitude, the right understanding, the right attitude, the right actions regarding money, that we would learn to manage money well as good stewards and let money be a representation of our heart, what's really going on in our heart. In fact, Jesus talked about money repetitively. It's because money has the way to reveal what's going on inside us. If you want to know where somebody's real treasure is, look and see what they're doing with their funds and what they do with money and resources will reveal their heart. That's what Jesus says. Where you find the treasure, there you find the heart. So God requires that we have the right understanding, right action, right right attitudes about money so we're going to talk about that today from this passage now let's zoom in on one verse and then we'll sort of expand out from there verse 17 as for the rich in this present age if you're one to underline in your bible you might bracket that prepositional phrase in this present age because that's a real big section of this as for those who are rich in this present age charge them not to be haughty you might circle that word haughty nor set their hopes circle that on the uncertainty of riches but on God I would double underline that who richly provides us with everything to enjoy so let me mention three things number one we ought to have the right the correct understanding of money and that's what he's saying when he says remind them who are rich in this present age I think what he's saying is get the right understanding Because the current state of riches is in flux. It will only last in this present age at best. So if somehow you can gain riches and keep it for the rest of your life, although that is not an easy task, if you could keep it for the entirety of your your life, it only lasts for this present age. That's a reminder to us constantly think about money correctly it's only in this present age so I need to use it in a way that significantly impacts the age to come I need to recognize money is temporary but heaven is eternal or everlasting life has significance and money plays a factor in that So in comparison to the rest of the world, most of us are rich. There's not many people who don't have enough food, clothing, and shelter in this place or in our community, although there's some. But the majority of us would be what the the world would say is rich. We live among the top tier of the world. We have various amounts of discretionary funds, but the fact that we have discretionary money signifies that we have financial riches. In other words, we have what it takes to live life beyond the necessities of food, shelter, and clothing. We have enough resources. But now in heaven's economy, it includes unimaginable riches 
that will make today's millionaires and billionaires seem like paupers and we just need to have the right understanding about all that we have is going to be nothing when it comes to heaven if you have all the money you ever need and your family will ever need my goodness will that ever mean nothing for you in heaven and so he's wanting us have the right understanding by saying this is only for the present age now certainly entering into heaven or into hell everybody will experience the great economic reset somehow the algorithms in YouTube think that I will the economy is about to reset and everything is about to come undone because they just tell me that over and over and over maybe it is meant to be that I'm supposed to know that and YouTube is trying to tell anybody else having that experience where you're just hearing it repetitively well I don't know if the economy is about to reset I don't know if the real estate boom is about to crash I don't know what's going to happen to the equities of the world but I do know this the economy of heaven is going to reset everything it will be totally different so that means everything that I'm putting effort in today is short-lived because there is a great economic reset coming when eternity begins to be lived by us in the present. So heaven will reward those who are faithful in their service to the Lord and his church and heaven will pay great dividends for the generosity that we have demonstrated to people who are in need and to the church's ministry that is flourishing around the world and here locally heaven pays that kind of dividend and reward and investment and treasure to people who are faithful I'm certainly thankful for those in this place who are faithfully generous I'm excited for the realities for you in verse 19 that says you are storing up treasure for yourself as a good foundation for the future so that you may take hold of that which is truly life so many of you in this place live and give and worship and serve with an eternal mindset and I'm I'm just happy for you I'm thankful for you and I'm excited for you because you really understand the true essence of living and you have an understanding of what eternity is like and what the economy of eternity is like and you're not forgoing eternal reward for temporary riches you're living open-handedly you're generous and I'm grateful for you and thankful for you and excited for you now let's let this sink in for a moment the essence of living life true life is living generously generously in attitude generously in compassion generously in spiritual truth generously and economic resources generous in hospitality it's the true essence of living and God will reward us and heaven's economy will be based on that kind of generous deposit that's being made so I'm also grateful that heaven's economy is not volatile uh, you and I know nothing but volatility in the economies that you and I are investing in they're forever changing but not in heaven heaven's economy is constant it's grounded on that which is solid it's perpetual it it is forever the same therefore you and I should be purposeful to make investments now 
for the treasure that will last throughout eternity in heaven. In other words, let's use today's money and possessions for the purposes that are eternally kingdom-oriented and just know that they're going to be rock-solid there. So we make investments in today's economy. I have some measure, you probably too, of timidity when I'm doing that. I'm wondering when I, when I buy something, is it going to be valuable in the end? You buy equities, you put your money in stocks, they're going to fluctuate. There's volatility in the market. Bonds do the same thing. Real estate, you buy that, you wonder if it's going to be just as valuable tomorrow or it's going to be increasing in value, but you're not sure of that because there's vol volatile markets that you and I are investing in. You can't find one that's not volatile, right? Because we live in a broken world. You say, well, I don't get into the markets. I put my cash somewhere safe and secure. That's all good and fine, except when inflation hits. And then it's too at risk, right? Everything that we know in the economy, but I can tell you there's no volatility in heaven. There's absolutely no instability in heaven. Everything is grounded solid on Jesus Christ. It's like a foundation that is perpetual. I mean, good grief, the asphalt of heaven is gold. How much better can you get than that, right? It's pretty certain that heaven is, is going to be solid. So heaven's economy is very different from the economy that you and I know about here on earth. The treasures that are stored there are absolutely secure. You can take it all the way to the eternal bank because Jesus said it himself lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys where thieves do not break in and steal so such truths help us to have the right understanding and attitude and usage about money and possessions so that people's lives are changed and experiences that we have in eternity are wondrously grounded in what we do today you and I do realize that today's actions have eternal consequences and that can be good or that can be bad make your deposits in heaven so let's not be short-sighted in using money for its far-reaching eternal impact invest for eternity so having the proper understanding is absolutely essential and having the proper attitude about your possessions, God wants us to lift that up as well. Have the right attitudes. Now, Paul's going to make three imperatives. Two of them are on the negative, and one is in the positive. And those three imperatives will help us to have the right attitude regarding riches, money, and possessions, and how we use it. First of all, he says, don't be haughty. Don't be haughty. Now, haughty is from a compound word. It's translated from a compound word in the Greek language that literally could be translated, don't think too highly of yourself. Don't be arrogant when it comes to money. Money has a way of playing tricks on us. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever thought about that? It has a way, if you're in possession of it, of making you think haughty. It makes you think more of yourself than you should. It makes you think more highly of yourself and less of other people. And it is tricky. I mean, this is like a, a trickster playing something on us that we don't even recognize while it's happening. 
if left unchallenged, the wicked thinking like I am better than others because I have resources, because I have money, because I have a retirement account or whatever it is, if we let that wicked kind of thinking stay in us, we will surmise that God must feel like we're better than other people as well. Otherwise, he wouldn't keep giving to us stuff. God must think the same thing about me that I think about me. Otherwise, why would he continue blessing me in this way? That is an arrogant, haughty, and sinful way of thinking. And when that comes into us, we need to point that out as being of the enemy, the father of lies, and elevate the word of truth. And we need to recognize that the Lord gives and the Lord takes. We came into this world with nothing. We will leave this world with nothing. And everything that God has treasured into our lives, he says that we ought to be good stewards, good managers of that resource, which means our attitude must be, I need to make a deposit in heaven. What can I do to help and engage and expand? What can I do that will have eternal consequences? Christians must not have an haughty attitude. Jesus certainly didn't. You're very familiar with this passage if you're one to read the Bible, Philippians 2, 5 through 7. Having this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. How about that? God, who owns it all, created it all, sustains it all, empties himself in Christ Jesus, and God, the sovereign, becomes a servant. And who are you, who am I, to think we have haughtiness? We have nothing if it weren't for Christ. And all that we have belongs to him and is meant to bring him glory. Oh, may we have the right attitude about money. May it come from a heart that's being transformed by Jesus. May it come from the nature of the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, which is the nature of Christ who emptied himself and became a servant. God, forgive us where we're haughty. and We think greater of ourselves because we have some kind of temporary resources that are only going to last in this age. And we think less of other people because they don't have the resources we have haughtiness it was a problem in the church at Ephesus among some and it's a problem in many a Christian in America today maybe some of us so the Holy Spirit commands us not to be haughty as I was contemplating this thought I just settled into this truth rarely will somebody confess to me that they have haughtiness I've had people confess a whole lot of stuff but I can't think of the last time somebody came up to me and said, Pastor, I just want you to pray with me because I'm a haughty woman. I'm a haughty man. You know what that tells me? Haughtiness is tricky. It's easy to slide under the radar. It's easy to develop in us. It's easy for us to have and not really think about it. So let's just pause for a moment and think what situations might we find haughtiness you know where I've heard haughtiness of people the way they talk to waitresses you know where haughtiness is often demonstrated the interactions we have with the checkout person at Walmart you know where haughtiness comes up 
when you're side by side somebody at the traffic light and you look over at what they're driving and haughtiness comes out or when you're driving down the road and you see somebody walking alongside of the road maybe in some area of town and you have a haughtiness about you you're better than they are they're less than you are can we just recognize that haughtiness is one that we often don't confess to but haughtiness is often in us so in the final words that Paul says to Timothy to this church this amazing church in one of the very richest areas of all the Roman Empire he says don't be haughty and here's an amazing church in the richest country in the world has more influence financially than any other country and in this church the Holy Spirit of the living God says don't be haughty why why is it such a big deal why is he so bothered with the idea that maybe we would be haughty I'll tell you why because that kind of attitude keeps us distant from Christ and distant from other people It is almost certain that neither the rich nor the poor will be impacting each other positively when the rich are haughty. The haughty with resources is not going to go to those who are poor and the poor you might go to do not want you to talk to them. So he says to this church who has an amazing opportunity to be on mission for Christ and communicate the gospel well, he says to that church, don't be haughty. It'll keep you from Christ and it'll keep you from other people, loving them and serving as God would call you to be and do. It's a pretty big deal, isn't it? Having the right understanding about riches, having the right attitude about it, riches. And then he says, Make sure you have the right hope. If we're going to have the right attitude, then we need to have the attitude of hope asserted in the right way. So the more stuff we have, the more difficult it is for us not to place our, our hope in that stuff. One of the examples that occurred to me was COVID was really hitting strong throughout the country back in March of 2020. I try not to make a habit of it, but I look fairly regularly at my 403B account. It's the retirement account that Kay and I have been investing in since we were in our 20s. It is the retirement means for us whenever uh, I'm not getting employed and paid by church. And so I watch that account fairly often, maybe too often sometimes. But in March 2020, it took a sharp fall. In fact, during that time, I wrestled with two perspectives as I looked at the chart. This is literally the chart. You can see the dip there. That's March 2020. And at that time, my soul was wrestling because I'm looking at that and I catch myself filled with anxiety. Now, anxiety and fear is not from the Lord. When you fear, that fear has not come from the Lord. Now, if you have a reverential fear of God, that you have an awe of God, you have a holy shaking in your spirit, very much good. 
But when I'm fearful about things that are temporary, it tells me that my heart is not positioned right. So I'm just, I'm just bearing to you what I was struggling with. Maybe some of you were struggling in the same way. I had two major struggles. Number one, I trusted in what the words of Philippians said. The Lord, Randy, will supply all your needs, Christ and his riches and glory. God is going to supply your needs, but at the same time, I'm struggling with that chart and the dip, the major dip that occurred at that moment. And my soul was vexed because, yes, Lord, I trust you to meet all of our needs according to your riches and glory, but the chart doesn't lie. Anybody else have that little struggle going on? And so the Lord took me to task in my heart and wanted to reshape my thinking, wanted to bring me back to realities of the economy of heaven and all that kind of stuff. And I felt a, a surrender to him and I felt a gaining in confidence in him that he has brought me this far. He didn't bring me this far to let COVID <laughs> drop me off. It's not like God was walking away from me just because the economy was taking a major dip. God would supply. He promised he would supply according to my needs. Where I was wrestling is that I wanted more than my needs. Of course, as you can see from the chart, things were changing a little bit. When I looked at the chart now, and I still look at it fairly often, I noticed a great recovery Similarly, the chart then proves not to be my friend because I've got this wrangling in my soul and just being transparent with you, just wrestling. Lord, I know you are the God who will supply all my needs according to your riches and glory, but man, look at that chart. I've got the means to live. And in the down times and in the up times financially, when the chart is bad, when the chart is good, it still remains true. Randy, your hope must be set on God, not anything else. Forget the chart, invest well, strategize well, yes, manage well, check the chart, but don't be focused on the chart with your hope. Your hope is in God, trust him for that. Maybe you're struggling in the same way that I struggle maybe it is that you and I need to just hope in God for certainly he is immutable he is unchanging you can set your hope in him because in Christ he fulfills every promise that has ever been given to us our certainty is in Christ alone the worldly possessions are the opposite aren't they they change hands oftenly it goes up it goes down it comes in it goes out and ultimately it will pass away with the passing of a generation when I die my boys are going to wrangle over any stuff that Kay and I may have it comes and it goes but God stays the same may we put our hope and our trust in him there's something about eternal riches. There's something certain about eternal riches, and that is they are always uncertain. But it's not like that with God, and it's not like that with the eternity and the economy of God. Yes, today's gains are tomorrow's losses, but today's contribution can be tomorrow's gains. May the Lord help us with those kind of truths.
Finally, in this attitude, set your hope on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So God is not telling the rich to divest themselves from the riches, at least not in this fact. He's telling them not to put their hope in the possessions, in the riches. The Holy Spirit is calling us to put your hope in God, trust in God, place your hope in Him, find your joy in Him, discover in Him that He provides everything for you to enjoy. So in this, I think we ought to be setting our gaze on him. Our longing ought to be in Christ. That is his presence, his word. He richly provides for us. Yes, his presence, his joy, his significance, his community, his goodness, his gifts, significance, and on and on and on. All of that is the riches of God. When we put our hope in him, he provides all that. All right, so I'm going to try to button this thing up. Have the right understanding, the right attitude, and the right actions, which is the way he's closing this midsection of this passage. When we repent from haughtiness and press toward humility in Christ, we no longer set our hope on uncertain riches. We find our hope in Christ alone, and then we will be free to live generously. When your hope is in Christ, you can be generous and freely generous and God empowers us to do that in fact I believe God empowers Christians to live out the command of verse 18 that says they are to do good to be rich in good works to be generous and ready to share this isn't about you or me saying okay I'm going to change my life and I'm going to be dogged doing this no 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 this is about you and me pressing to the hope that is found in God and believing that and entrusting that his Holy Spirit will empower us to do these things and then he emphatically states it in three different ways what are we to do number one God is empowering us to be people who are rich to do good things rich people doing good things he's not empowering us to be rich I need to rephrase that he's empowering the rich who are rich to do good things they are to do good now that word that's translated good is very unique in the bible in fact it's only used one other time in the entirety of the bible and it's found in acts chapter 14 and in that passage it's speaking about god providing good god providing goodness to people imparting fruitful seasons and satisfying them with goodness and grace it's about god's generosity and it's that word that Paul picks up on when he's saying to Timothy, tell the church, those people who are rich ought to do good. The goodness of God ought to be extended through them by their riches. It doesn't mean that you can't enjoy your riches. It just means as well, you ought to be doing good with that rich generosity that God has imparted to you. So Paul is challenging Timothy to those people in the church use their resources to supply the provisions and the needs of other people and ministry secondly he says people with riches are to be rich in good works now he's obviously doing a little word play here he's switching that around to be rich in good works in other words don't be cheap about it don't be skimpy about your good works be rich in your good works lavish in your good works and then he says, tell those people who have riches 
They ought to be ready, poised to share in their good works. He's calling us to be eager and ready to give, to look for opportunities to give. It doesn't mean that you have to be haphazard or flippant or even hasty in it. It means that you are seeking the opportunities to be givers. There's a handful of people here that I know about. There's probably more, but I just know about a handful that will tell me periodically, I'm looking to give. I'm looking for the opportunity. Maybe their investors and the investments are doing well. They've managed it well, and now they're going to take the benefit, the profit of that investment, and they're saying, Randy, I'm looking to invest. That's the attitude that all of us ought to have. You say, well, I don't have that kind of investment. No, no, no. You got five bucks in your pocket. Look to be good in goodness for people. Look to be rich in good works with the five bucks you've got in your pocket. Look for the opportunities to be gracious. So God's doing in chapter 14 of Acts. He's saying, I'm giving you goodness. By the way, he was saying that to about people who were not with him, not saved. He's saying of them, I'm giving goodness to you. I'm providing seasons for you. I'm providing rain and refreshment for you. And in that way, he's saying to us, use your riches to do good, to be good and rich in your works. I read Kent Hughes in his commentary on 1 Timothy, as well as commentaries in other books of the Bible. And a memorable quote that he shared in his commentary was from Cotton Mather. I was intrigued by the quote because I had not heard it before and I knew it had significance. Religion begat prosperity and the daughter devoured the mother. Now, when I read that, I thought, okay, I need to ponder that one for a moment. I need to think about that one. What he's doing is quoting a com or, or pointing out a common occurrence in the church. Authentic conversion changes people thoroughly. Drunks and addicts suddenly find freedom in Christ. People that are misgiven in their life and misaligned in their life not good managers not good workers their lives are transformed they have the spirit of the living God dwelling within them they have the words of truth in their possession the Bible and they have the Holy Spirit who's there to teach them those truths and so old habits and costly ways of living those things pass away and everything becomes new and although it's not all the way true Many of them have newfound riches because they suddenly can have jobs, keep jobs, and manage life well and manage resources well. And with that comes more resources. What Mather is pointing out is the very thing that brought prosperity or the hope of prosperity or the result of prosperity in their life this grandness from God and this gospel transformation can actually turn around and devour them. 
And it is most often in the second or third generation of the Christian. Maybe, maybe God's truth and God's spirit has brought discipline in your life, brought clarity in the way you think, brought management, stewardship, skill into you, brought leadership ability from you, and in turn, it has resulted in riches of various degrees, riches. Be careful that those riches don't devour you and your children and your grandchildren. Okay, how do I not let riches devour me? Have the right understanding, the right attitude, and pursue the right actions. Now let's pray together. It's obvious, Lord, that really this passage is not about money. It's about our hearts. Lord, so often it's the case that generosity or lack thereof reveals our hearts. Our money and our riches often reveal what we worship, what we serve, and how deeply we love So, oh God, as your work of transformation is ongoing in us, first in our salvation and now in the work of the Holy Spirit moving in us, convicting in us, and bringing truth into us, I pray that it would be evident that we love you above all and that anything you have entrusted to us, we are to manage in a way that brings you glory and honor and worship. Oh God, may you alone be our hope and not riches. And may it be evident in how we think about and use money. So help us where we're struggling. Forgive us where we're sinful. Reset us where we're wrong, that we might walk in your ways. In the name of Jesus.